you would, go ahead and turn to Judges chapter 13. That is going to be our starting passage this morning. I, uh, I Normally when I get up um, to begin to share the word, I, I normally have a pretty good idea of where my introduction is going to go, but uh, this morning, man, my heart's full. My heart is full. We start with a baptism. Um, and having a new sister born into the to the family as she trusted Jesus Christ and the Lord saved her. And so my heart's full because of that. My heart's full um, because this week uh, the Lord blessed me and you all blessed me with the ability to get away and to go to a conference where I got to meet a lot of other pastors and be reminded of how bad a preacher I really am as I listed, listened to some great words of, of God. Um, and so... HLG folks, uh, if you came here expecting like Bob Bergen or Miles Mullen or somebody like that or Eric Turner, don't tell Eric that I thought he was a good preacher. But if you're expecting that, um, you're, you might be a little disappointed this morning. Um, but uh, those guys, you guys are like, who is that? Because we've never heard their first names. Like you guys are confused right now, but that's okay. Um, but anyway, so my heart's full because I got to go there and be encouraged and challenged there. My heart's full because I have some of my family here. My mom and dad are sitting up here beside Melissa, um, and the lady that I call my second mom is sitting behind them. Um, Cindy, Cindy is Nathan's mom, um, and I always joke that she was my second mom. That's great when things are going well, by the way, because you get two rounds of encouragement, you get two rounds of edification, you get an another person to, to treat you that way. Things are not so good when you do stupid things, because you get one lecture and then you get another lecture, all right? Um, so, uh, but I'm glad that they're here this morning and, uh, and so my heart's full of that, but my heart is also full just because we're talking, um, about Samson and this new sermon series that we're getting ready to start because he points us to Christ. He points us to Christ. And so I want to share with, before we get into the passage, I want to share you with you a story and I want you to think about who this talks about. Who does this describe? And obviously we've already kind of given this away, but the story goes like some, something like this. There was a woman who was pretty, pretty just normal. There was nothing special about her. In fact, and she was going about her day, and one day an angel came to her and told her something extraordinary. The angel told her that despite her circumstances, despite her circumstances, she was going to have a child. And that child would be part of the salvation of his people. And she was just flabbergasted by this. But it happened exactly the way that the angel said. And the child was born. But we're not told much about the child's, the child's uh, early upbringing. We're not told much about his teenage years. We're not told much at all even about his early adulthood. We meet him in the middle of his ministry. And we see him do some incredible things. We see him do what we would call miracle after miracle. And it leads all the way up to the point where he suffers greatly. He suffers greatly. But at the end of that suffering, even in his death, he accomplishes the greatest thing that he would ever accomplish on his time on earth. And it's what we would remember him for forever. If I were to tell you that story, who would you say that is? Jesus. But this morning, we're going to see, and for the next several weeks, we're going to see that that is also the story of Samson. Well, that is also the story of Samson. Because the story of Samson is a foreshadowing of what God was going to do with Jesus Christ. 
And not only is it a foreshadowing, but it is a reminder of our need for this Jesus Christ who was truly man and truly God at the same time. For a Savior, and I'm going to try not to get too far ahead of myself, for a Savior who could deal with our real problems and not just some man who was strong. All right? All right, so hopefully by now you found Judges chapter 13. We are going to read the whole chapter. Um, so you're going to have to have good standing power this morning. Um, but if you are able, would you please stand as we honor the reading of God's word this morning? Judges chapter 13. And the people of Israel again did what was evil in the sight of the Lord. So the Lord gave them into the hand of the Philistines for 40 years. There was, there was a certain man of Zorah by the name by the tribe of the Danites, whose name was Manoah. And his wife was barren and had no children. And the angel of the Lord appeared to the woman and said to her, Behold, you are barren and have not born children, but you shall conceive and bear a son. Therefore, be careful and drink no wine or strong drink and eat nothing unclean, for behold, you shall conceive and bear a son. No razor shall come upon his head, for the child shall be a Nazarite to God from the womb. And he shall begin to save Israel from the hand of the Philistines. Then the woman came to and told her husband, and a man of, a man of God came to me, and his appearance was like the appearance of the angel of God, very awesome. I did not ask him where he was from, and he did not tell me his name. But he said to me, Behold, you shall conceive and bear a son, so then no drink so then, drink no wine or strong drink, and eat nothing unclean. For the child shall be a Nazarite to God from the womb to the day of his death. Then Manoah prayed to the Lord and said, O Lord, please let the man of God whom you sent come again to us and teach us what we are to do with, this, with the child who will be born. And God listened to the voice of Manoah, and the angel of God came again to the woman as she sat in the field. But Manoah, her husband, was not with her. So the woman ran quickly and told her husband, Behold, the man who came to me the other day has appeared to me. And Manoah rose and went after his wife and came to the man and said to him, Are you the man who spoke to this woman? And he said, I am. And Manoah said, Now when your words come true, what is to be this child's manner of life? What is his mission? And the angel of the Lord said to Manoah, all that, Of all that I said to the woman, let her be careful. She may not eat of anything that comes from the vine, neither let her drink wine or strong drink, or eat anything or eat any unclean thing. All that I commanded, let her observe. Manoah said to the angel of the Lord, Please let us detain you and prepare a young goat for you. And the angel of the Lord said to Manoah, If you detain me, I will not eat of your food. But if you prepare a burnt offering, then offer it to the Lord. For Manoah did not know that he was the angel of the Lord. Then Manoah said to the angel of the Lord, What is your name? So that, we, so that when we, your words come true, we may honor you. And the angel of the Lord said to him, Why do you ask me my name, seeing as it is wonderful? So Manoah took the young goat with the grain offering and offered it on the rock to the Lord, to the one who works wonders. And Manoah and his wife were watching. And when the flame went upward toward heaven from the altar, the angel of the Lord went up in the flame of the altar. Now Manoah and his wife were watching, and they fell on their faces to the ground. The angel of the Lord appeared no more to Manoah and to his wife. And then Manoah knew that he was an angel of the Lord. And Manoah said to his wife, Surely shall we, we shall surely die. 
for we have seen God. But his wife said to him, if the Lord had meant to kill us, he would not have accepted a burnt offering and a grain offering at our hands or shown us all these things or now announced to us such things as these. And the woman bore a son and called his name Samson. And the young man grew and the Lord blessed him. And the spirit of the Lord began to stir in him in the Nanadan between Zorah and Eshtol. Let us pray. Father, we come before you. And Lord, we read stories like this. And Lord, from our childhood, these stories seem magical and they seem wonderful. And we build them up sometimes in the things that they should not be. But Lord, I pray this morning. Lord, I pray over your word that it would speak truth to us. I pray over myself, Lord, asking grace, Lord, that I would be able to speak clearly, that I would be able to speak truth, Lord, that I would be faithful to your word this morning. Lord, and I pray for us as a people. Lord, speak to our hearts. Lord, use your word to transform us into the image of your son this morning. Lord, we pray all of this. In the beautiful name of Jesus Christ, amen. Thank you. You can be seated. Samson really is an interesting story, and it's one that we've probably heard since you were a little tyke in Sunday school about this guy who is so strong that he just does these incredible things. And in your mind, uh, it... In your mind, there's probably a picture. In fact, the name Samson probably produces a stronger image in our head than a lot of first names. Um, I was reminded as I was preparing this that Samson's one of the few people that we hear his first name and we automatically know who we're talking about. Um, and I was reminded of the great uh, piece of artwork called Doctor Strange, um, the movie where he talks about first names and, oh, you must be like Beyonce. And like that's the name that goes to. Okay, nobody got that joke. All right, so moving on. Okay, Samson, though, produces this strong first image, okay? Produces this strong first image. And we think of this great big guy with this great long hair. I don't know that that's really what Samson was, though. Because the whole point was for God to show people strength through something common. I believe Samson was probably looked probably much more like you and I than this huge muscle-bound hulk that we often think of. But not only that, Samson, we've, we've taken that story and we've made it a ch children's story. And we've softened it and we've cleaned it up so that we can present it to them in a way that is exciting. And the truth is, is that the story of Samson is filled with great tragedy. It's about a man who was proclaimed to be the Savior who looked everywhere to, but God to make him happy. And we see a life destroyed by sin. We see a life torn apart by, our, by the fleshly desires that we all have. And so as we walk through this sermon series together, as we walk through the life of Samson together, we're going to be taking what we learned in 1 John and applying it to the life of Samson to see what happens when we ignore the Word of God, to see what happens when we ignore the test of the faith in our life. Before we get too far into that, though, before we get into really the birth of Samson, I want us to understand a couple of things about the time of the judges. 
Now, if you're a good student of the word and you've, you've been around a little bit, then you're probably going to recognize most of these things. But first, I want us to see here, just in way of context of Samson, that in the book of Judges, one of the things we see the most is a cycle. We see this cycle. And this cycle has four parts. It's a cycle of sin, a cycle of discipline, followed by prayer, and then salvation. So what would happen, what we see right off the bat, is that things would be going pretty good. We start with shortly after the death of Joshua. You know Joshua leads the people into the promised land. They, they clear the land. They, they, they begin to live in its cities. And everything is going pretty well. They're following after the Lord. But it's not too long after the death of this great leader that they began to sin. And that sin leads them in a path away from God to where they begin to worship the idols of the land that they are in. And what happens is eventually God, who is a good father, disciplines his people because they are no longer being the light that he intended them to be. So he disciplines them. That discipline often occurs in the form of being under the thumb or under the, uh, the judgment of another people. And so they fall under this discipline, they fall into hard times, they fall into difficult times until the people return to God, they begin to pray to Him, and they, they repent of their sins and they beg Him for salvation. They beg Him to free them from this bondage that they found themselves in. And at that time, it's, the words are usually that God hear, hears His people and He brings a Savior of sorts to them. And he delivers them from the people. And for a time, things are good again. But then the cycle begins all over again. That person dies. And then they begin to sin and discipline and prayer and salvation. That whole cycle starts all over again. But every time it is worse. Every time it is worse. They never fully come back to the starting point. It's just a downward spiral. And that's exemplified in the story of Samson. The second thing I want us to see... Uh, in the book of Judges, is that all of the heroes are faulty. All of the heroes, or often the heroes, are faulty. As you look through the book of Judges, what you're not going to find is a book of perfect people. What you're going to find is a bunch of men and women who God uses despite their faults. Despite their faults. What you're also going to see, and this is really the intention of all of the Old Testament, but especially Judges, is the need for a real Savior. This whole book points to one who can solve the real problem. Because what we see over and over again is God send a deliverer so that he can rescue people from a physical bondage. Over and over again, that's what we see. People in physical bondage and a, a deliverer comes and frees them from that and they think, oh, we've been saved. But what you are supposed to be driven to as the reader of Judges is to see that the real problem for these people and for us is not physical bondage. It is not physical illness. It is not disease. It is not anything other than the problem of sin. Sin is these people's real problem. It is what takes them back into physical bondage every time. And none of these deliverers, none of these judges are able to deal with sin. None of it. And so the cycle continues. And it gets worse 
and worse. And what you see in the last few chapters after Samson, who is the last judges, is that the people are being ripped apart by sin to the point where whole tribes are almost disappearing because of it. We need a Savior. These people needed a Savior. And all of these things, all three of these things, are uh, magnified in the picture of Samson. The cycle is magnified there. We see that the fault in their hero, and we see the need for a true Savior. All right. Welcome to the intro. So, Let's dig into the life of Samson. Today we're going to look at his birth. And so the first thing I want us to look at here in verse 1, as we look at this angel appearing to, to this woman, I want us to look first in verse 1. In verse 1 it says, And the people of Israel again did what was evil in the sight of the Lord, so the Lord gave them into the hand of the Philistines for 40 years. Okay. So we have this cycle, and if you're gonna, if you read the next few verses after that, what happens is that an angel appears to this woman. Who, by the way, Samson is one of the most detailed stories we have in Judges, and yet we're never given the name of his mom. Okay, that's a, another sermon for another day, but it's an interesting point. So this angel speaks to Samson's mother, and he tells her all that's going to happen. And it's previewed by verse 1. And we see there the cycle. We see there the sin of the people. Okay? We see that God hands them over to people that would oppress them, the Philistines, who were an amazing people in terms of technology, but they were so worldly. They are the ultimate picture of God's enemies. I mean, they were in number. They were brutal. They loved the world. They loved their drinking parties. They loved everything that the world had to offer. And yet they were the ones that were over the people of Israel. And then we skip into the next two verses. So we see the first two parts of the cycle. We skip into the next couple of verses. And what we see is God announcing the coming of a deliverer. What did we miss there? We skipped a part of the cycle, didn't we? We skipped the prayer. We skipped the repentance. What, what happened to that? Something's missing here. And what I, wanna, what I want us to understand really quickly, and we're, we're not going to be able to, to dwell on this as much as I would like this morning, but your salvation is not dependent upon you seeking God. We have taught that wrongly for so long that somehow our salvation is dependent upon us seeking God and us making a decision. But it is clear throughout Scripture, and he makes it clear here, that salvation comes because he seeks us. He seeks us. I did not seek him. My salvation did not happen because one morning I suddenly realized that I needed God. My salvation happened because by miracle of miracles, he opened my eyes to him and he died for me first. While we were yet enemies, he died for us. These people did not seek God. Rather, 
he sought them. He brought deliverance to them. So first we see that the cycle, that there's something missing. Second thing we see here is, is an interesting statement in verse 5. He will begin to save Israel. He will begin to save Israel. If you look down there in verse 5. Have you ever caught that when you read the story? I had never seen that before. When I was rereading chapter 13 earlier this month, I saw that phrase, he will begin to save. And I went, wait a minute. That's, that's weird. If Samson's supposed to be this deliverer, shouldn't he be the one that completes the salvation? Shouldn't he be the one that completes this process? That's what happens with all of the others. All the other judges, he tells them, and, and paraphrase, you're going to save the people. I'm going to use you to save the people. But with Samson, it's you will begin to save. Why does he say that? Well, one, one, it points to the fact that there is going to be the need for another person who will complete the physical breakage of bondage. Who is that person? Who ultimately defeats the Philistines? David. The physical bondage, the physical bondage of the, to the Philistines is start, the breaking of that is started in Samson, but it is not completed until we get to David. And David is the picture of the godly king. He is everything that Samson is not. You, th you think of Samson and you think of strong, okay, whether he was that physically Hulk or not. David, though, when we get to the description of David, what do people say about him? Like Samuel, even the prophet who's there to name a king, looks at David like, surely it's not this kid. Like, he's a little short shrimp. Like, he goes to Saul and says, I'll take on the giant. And Saul's like, uh, yeah, sure you will. Okay? David's the opposite of all those things. Yes, David, who God will use as a holy man after God's own heart to set free the people from bondage to the Philistines. But there is a deeper meaning here. Because remember, the problem is not physical bondage. The problem is sin. So when it says that Samson will begin to free his people, he will begin the salvation of people, it points to David, but it further points to Christ. To the one who will come. The one who will be opposite of everything Samson stands for. And he is the one who will ultimately break our bondage to sin. He will ultimately be the one who frees us. Another odd thing that I want us to see here that scripture shows us is verse 7. Or sorry, verse in further in verse, yeah, sorry, verse 5. Apologize for that. It says, in verse 5, for behold, or sorry, let's start in verse 4. Therefore, be careful and no drink, and drink no wine or strong drink, and eat nothing unclean. For behold, you shall conceive and bear a son. And he reminds her of that again later. All right? Now, for most of us, we may think, okay, that's good instruction. She's going to give birth to a Nazarite and all this stuff. But let me point out this fact. If she is a good follower of the law, should she have to be told not to eat unclean things? No. <laughs> if she's a good follower of the law, she shouldn't be eating or even touching unclean things in the first place. Shouldn't be happening. This woman was just an everyday woman. There was nothing special about her. In fact, she, from... From the conclusions that we draw from this, she had some 
she had some sin issues. She had some blemishes of her own. And yet this is the woman through whom God says, I'm going to bring life. I'm going to bring a life, and that life is going to begin salvation for the people. I don't want to go too far down this rabbit hole because this isn't where we're ending up today. But I do want to remind us, so many of us do not share the gospel. So many of us do not share the gospel because we are afraid of the blemishes that we see in ourselves. We don't share the gospel. We don't share the love of Christ because we think I'm not good enough. I need to clean my life up as if it's up to you to clean your life up in the first place. I need to clean my life up before I share Christ. Friends, he wants to use you now. He doesn't say, wait for the end of sanctification. Wait for the end of, of all your sin to share the gospel. He says, do it now. And here's the thing that really gets me, is that this lady goes on and she does a great thing with her husband, encouraging him that this is what God has said to us, so we're going to obey it. This lady has a great story. Can you imagine being told, you are barren, you've never had children, but you're going to have a son. There's great excitement there. Surely she would have told that story. How much greater a story do we have? How much greater a story do we have? We cannot wait. All right, that's the sermon within the sermon. All right, moving on. So, we're running out of time. I hope you don't have a pot roast on. Okay, so, we move from there, okay? We move from there, this announcement of the angel... But the angel announces something else in the midst of all this that I want us to pay attention to, and that is that Samson will be a Nazarite. Okay? Samson is going to be a Nazarite from birth. This is an important concept that we need to understand if we're going to understand the life of Samson. So I want us to understand just a few things. First, who were the Nazarites? Number one, they were volunteers. And I encourage you to go back and read Numbers chapter 6. Okay, in Numbers chapter 6, God lays out in the law who the Nazarites were, who they are, and what they're to be. So in verse 6, verse, or sorry, chapter 6 of Numbers, verse 2, we see first that they were volunteers. They were volunteers. This was something that you signed up for. Okay? The second thing we see is that they were part-time. They were part-time. This was never intended to be a lifelong commitment. It was deemed too difficult. Most people did it for a few months, maybe a few years, but they never, they never would have done it full time. They would have never made a life commitment out of it. The third thing we see is number six, three through eight, is that they were set apart. They were set apart. They were to be different. Their life was to be distinguished, to be distinct from those that they were around, even Israel. And yet we see in the life of Samson that he was none of these. Samson was not a volunteer. He was a Nazarite from birth. Samson was not part-time. It would be the length of his life, not just a few months or a few years. And we see as we go on, as we'll explore soon, that Samson was not set apart. Though the Spirit descended on him at different times in his life, Samson relished the world. He loved it. It's where his heart was. Especially loved women. 
We're going to see that over and over again. His pursuit of that and how it destroys him. And yet, and so in looking at Samson as a Nazarite and how he fails in all of these, how he's short, he comes up short in all these, we are again reminded that our deliverer is not a man merely, but that we are in need of God to deliver. There are so many in our world who look to political leaders, they look to great speakers, they look to those of the world to somehow pull us up out of what we are stuck in right now, and the, the answer every time is that it is not enough. Man was never going to be able to solve the problem. We needed a Christ. We needed God-man. Someone who would voluntarily step into time, be set apart, never sinning once, to be our Savior. Christ accomplishes it all for us. Sam, the picture of Samson is meant to remind us of how far short we come. So we see here the angel appear and we see the prediction. We see the idea that Samson would be a Nazarite and how he falls short in that. And then we see the response of man, or as I titled it here, the doubt of man. Because so often this is our response anytime we hear a story of deliverance. Manoah gets told, his wife comes to him. Can you imagine this? Picture this just for a minute. This lady has been barren. Okay? No children. That's a big deal. That's a big deal anytime. Okay? And this woman goes to her husband and says, we're going to have a child. As a father, what should your response be? We're going to have a kid. What's the response of Manoah? Where's this guy that told you this? I want to meet him. We need to talk. He doubts. He doubts everything. He questions his wife. Then he questions the angel. The angel, actually, God answers this man's prayer. And he, the angel comes back. And what's he say? Tell me how we're supposed to do this. Where's the manual? Like, if you're going to promise this great thing, I want a book of instructions. How am I supposed to raise this kid? I've never raised a Nazarite. Have you? Okay, let's do it. He questions the angel. How is this going to happen? And then he questions whether God even sent this guy. This is the mind-blowing thing about Manoah, is that Manoah hears a word of deliverance. He doubts his wife. He doubts the angel. And then once he even starts to get an inkling of believing, he begins to doubt that God was the reason it happened. Because he looks at the angel and he goes, let us, let, let us sacrifice. And the angel is like, oh my gosh, no. Don't sacrifice to me. You offer it to the Lord. And then he says, then he, then he doesn't even get the hint because then he says, well, tell me your name so that when this comes true, we may honor you. And the angel's like, you just don't get it. No, I'm not telling you my name because the only name you should be worried about is the name of the Lord. Now that's paraphrasing a little bit, but that's what the angel's telling him. Okay? Worry about the Lord. You set your focus on him. Manoah questions everything. But then this is the great part. In verse 21 and 22, the angel disappears, and finally our friend gets it. 
It says in verse 21, the angel of the Lord appeared no more to Manoah and his wife, and then, then Manoah knew that he was an angel of the Lord. Like he had figured that out. Like we know from the wife. Remember what the wife said? He was, he was like an angel of the Lord. He was awesome. Okay, so he had the appearance, and yet it wasn't until he left that Manoah put the pieces together. And then Manoah does this. He fears for his life. Here's the thing. When, when we see God appear before man, the holiness of God, what is the common reaction? It's to say, woe is me. It's to understand that God's holy and we're not. And so people begin to fear for their life. Manoah is not fearing for his life because he understands the holiness of God. Manoah is fearing for his life because he's afraid for his life. This is self-preservation. This is not the understanding of the holiness of God. There's a difference. And how often is that our response to people, to God's word of deliverance, to say, to begin to question everything. God says, I want to do this in your life. I want to do this in your life. And we begin to say, how's that going to work? I need, a, I need an instruction book. I need a step-by-step process. How are you going to provide this? How are you going to provide that? Or we begin to go into self-preservation mode. God says, do this. And we say, ooh, that's scary. God says, I want you to adopt. Ooh, I don't know about that. That could change our financial status. You know how hard it is to deal with adoption? God says, I want you to move. Ooh, I like my house. That would cause, cause us to lose that. What about all our friends? God calls you into ministry. Ooh, have you seen church people? Don't think so. I love you. But we begin to get self-preservation, don't we? We begin to fear for our life, not because we understand the holiness of God, but we understand this. Yet, this woman... Man, I wish we had her name. Look at her response. Look at the faith of the woman. She's not perfect, remember. She's not perfect. She's nothing special. And yet I love her response here, in verse, starting in verse 23. She says, but his wife said to him, men, have your wife done this to you? <laughs> okay, you're going crazy. If the Lord had meant to kill us, he would not have accepted a burnt offering and a grain offering at our hands, or shown us all these things, or announced to us such things as these. Praise the Lord for good wives. Praise the Lord for good wives who step into our lives and say, if God meant to kill you, he would have done it. He wouldn't have promised you a son. Let's believe. Let's trust this path. Let's follow the Lord. Oh, that that would be our response to the calling of God, to the message of deliverance, not to question, not to doubt, not to fear for our own lives, but to say, such saith the Lord, and I will go, because he is my deliverer. He has set me free from true bondage. Not just some physical bondage. He hasn't just set me free from disease or illness. He didn't just set me free from depression. He didn't just set me free from addiction. He set me free from my real problem, sin and the wrath of God. Now I stand before the Lord as a saint, clothed in white. 
Which brings us to our response, our need. This morning, we were once a people not seeking him. And maybe even today, you would say, I did not come here seeking him. I just came because I knew I needed to be at church. We, we were a people not seeking him. And yet, God sent a Savior before we understood our need. Maybe you're here this morning, and you did not come here to this place seeking Him, whether you have never found Him and you've never had a relationship with Him, or maybe you came here and you are a believer, but... For whatever reason, your gaze has missed. We talked last week about mowing in straight lines, that you focus on that point and you go after it. Maybe this morning, maybe this morning you have fixed your gaze on other things and you came here because you knew it was the right thing to do, because you knew that's where you needed to be, but you did not come here expecting a message about actually needing to find him. Christ knew that beforehand. God sent a Savior before we understood our need. Before you were even born, before you were even a thought, God knew about you. He knew about this moment, and He died for you. He has set you free. And now He beckons you to follow Him. We need to trust. We need to be like this woman, who though she had blemish, though she was not perfect, in fact, she was so average that we don't even get her name. God said, I want to use you. And her response was not, what? Can't do that. I'm not perfect. This might interrupt my life. But rather her response was, if he wanted to kill me, he would have done it. But he didn't, so he wants to use me. And he's going to accomplish his purpose. May we respond in life. May we respond, Lord, if that's what you're telling me to do, then I will follow you. You're my boss. You're my savior. Over the next several weeks, we're going to look at how Samson failed every test of a healthy believer that we've looked at in 1 John. And we're going to see the consequences of that sin. We're going to see the consequences of that life. And my prayer is that through Samson's story that we would heed the warning. That we would heed the warning of following our own desires. That we would heed the warning of not trusting him. And we would run the other way. I'm going to ask Nathan and the group to come back up here. And they're going to lead us in a time of response. As a believer, I... I don't know where you're at this morning as individuals hearing this word. Maybe this morning you hear the word that God has freed you from the ultimate demand, the ultimate burden, the ultimate bondage of sin, and you identify with that and you know it. And this morning you would raise up your voice and worship the one true God who did that for you, seeking you when you did not seek him. Then I invite you. I invite you to join us this morning in singing. Maybe this morning you're a believer and your gaze has gone other ways and you're like Manoah who doubts. But God is clearly telling you a direction that he wants you to go. This morning will you 
heed the words of God and say, I will go. I will do that. Maybe this morning you're here, and like Marissa not that long ago, you are not seeking God at all. You've never known what it means to be free of bondage of sin. You've never known what it means for God to take care of your deepest need. You're afraid of death. You're afraid of wrath. You're afraid of judgment to come. Then this morning, let me say, you can have freedom. He sought you. He is seeking you. He loves you and desires you. This morning, will you talk to him? Will you have a conversation with him this morning? Asking him to forgive you of your sins and make him Lord of your life. Let me pray with you and then we'll have a time of response. Father, we come before you this morning. We thank you for your word. We thank you for our family, our church family. We thank you that you see our real need and you took care of it at the cross. Thank you that we have a Savior who has not failed in any way. Father, I pray now, Lord, as a church, that we would respond to you the way you would desire us. I pray this in your name.